Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Well, it is October 1st, 2021, as I record this intro, but it was in August when I spoke to MK Meredith, who was not a relation to me, but I adored her book. I learned about it from an author I so respect, Craig Martell, who has a thriving Facebook page, 20 Books to 50K. When he endorsed her book, I knew it was one I needed to read. And I'll have the cover in show notes, but I am so honored that she's here. And we're going to run this, of course, in October during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. For a second, though, personal update. I recorded in Anchorage, Alaska. Now I'm in my new home, partly moved in. Half my stuff is not with me, nor my car. But can you hear the crickets in the background? I hope so. It gives me endless joy. Sometimes we have to blow up our lives a little bit and make different choices to get unstuck. And for me, moving cross country by myself with two cats and no friends or family right in the immediate vicinity is just what I needed, just to turn up the tension and to grow and get a little bit unstuck. I love the heat, it turns out. And I love my family and friends for supporting me in this and for making it possible. I'm too inept to have made the details work on my own. So I'm totally grateful to be here and for their support and love. Hope you enjoy this episode. Find the show notes at lameredith.com. And if you're interested in looking at book marketing on the skinny, it's going to be coming up soon. So I'll be teaching that online and it's a self-paced course. I have a wait list already started. So if you're interested, hit me up, let me know. Thanks for being here. Welcome, persisters and brothers, to another episode of Persistence You with Lisbeth. Today, I am really excited to have MK Meredith with me. MK, for those of you who don't know, is an author who's written 11 books. 11 books, including her most recent, which is the one I'm transfixed with. It's it's a breast cancer memoir, but it's much more than that. And it's called Not Your Usual Boob, The Good, Bad, and Wonky of Breast Cancer. MK is a two-time survivor of breast cancer. She's also a USA Today bestseller in her romance novels and just wrote the most accessible, funny, sarcastic, but informative book about her journey with breast cancer. And really, I learned so much just as an in general reading her book about how to develop community that really serves and helps and that you can serve and help when you are going through any kind of crisis, not just breast cancer. So thank you so much, MK, for being with us today. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Lizbeth. I'm super excited to be here and in touched to be a part of your podcast. I am thrilled. Now, I loved your story. If you could tell us a little bit about your mom and then your birth, the time that you were diagnosed, that would be really helpful. 
Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, My mom was, you know, of course, I think just an amazing woman. She got breast cancer when she was 36 back in 79. And she passed away uh, at 39 when I was seven years old. And it's interesting because I have three older brothers and each one of them, 39 years was a marker, like almost holding their breath to get through that 39th year. And I kept telling myself I wouldn't do that, but no joke, you know, that 39th year came and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm in the clear. And then two days before my 40th birthday, I got a phone call. That's how I was told that I had breast cancer. And at the time that 39th year, both of my children at, at different parts of the year had been seven. So it was just a funny connection with the numbers, you know, back then too. But, uh, but yeah, that was not a phone call that I wanted to get. (laughs) No, absolutely. That is just heartbreaking. And especially you'd done the preventative sort of, or at least forecasting work. And you got some of those fancy tests, the BRCA tests that could tell you whether or not you, you were at risk and tell us about that a little bit. Back in 2008. So my, my first diagnosis with breast cancer was 2015. Back in 2008, because of my history, my uh, OB, OB-GYN uh, had suggested that I go get the BRCA test. And so for the testing for one and two. So I did that and I came back negative. And so the way that I understood it is that basically meant that I wasn't higher risk and had the similar risk as anybody else, you know, any other woman. So it, I knew that it didn't mean I, there was no chance, but there was a part of me that made me feel like, oh, okay, this isn't going to have to be part of my life anymore. And, and it was definitely a false sense of security. However, I still always checked. So sure. it was the Christmas before January. So it was Christmas, uh, December of 2014, that I had noticed uh, an indentation. And it was just almost a, like a little bit of a hollowing on the left side that because of the lighting in my bathroom, when I stepped out of the shower, I recognized it. And I had known that anything that pulled in on your skin was not a good sign when it came to okay. breast cancer. So it was, oh gosh, it was right. It was it was like that last week of December and I, my children were young, so I did not want to be causing any disruption for the holidays. But I told myself that, you know, January 2nd or whenever, as soon as the kids got back into school, I was going to call in and make my appointment. So I, I did that and, and worked through that, you know, whole process. And then it was what I thought it was. Oh my goodness. I, that is amazing. And and frankly, chilling that it was the same age that your mom uh, passed. So anyway, that, that had to be really hard. It was as it, in there. Some people might think it's a silly thing to get caught up on, but at the time it was, it was, um, I really didn't like the fact that I was still 39, that that was when she left that my kids had been seven that year. Like, I don't know how many times I looked up the sky and I was like, really, you know, for whatever you believe. <laughs> God, whatever powers. I was like, come on, two more days. And it would have maybe felt a little bit different. But, um, right. you know, I will tell you that when I went in, they did mammogram. 25 films didn't show a thing because I had really dense breast tissue, fibrous breast tissue. But I knew that I knew what I saw and what I could feel. And so I told the the, the doctor, she's like, well, I don't feel anything. And I, and I told her, well, if I lay down, I think that you can feel it easier. So I laid down and she could 
barely kind of feel what I said was there. And that's when she's, you know, said, let's send you to a, to get your mammo just in case. And I'm like, yeah, just in case. So they did the mammo, came back clear in the clear, would have sent me home. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you there is something there. And so they're like, all right. And I said, you know, my mom had breast cancer. So they said, all right, well, just in case. And I'm like, yeah, just in case, like, yes. So they did it. And with the ultrasound, the, I guess funny, but not so funny is the, the texts are not supposed to respond because it's supposed to be the radiologist that comes back in and, and gives you the information. She was new. So as soon as she got the gel on and, and got the, the sensor down to where it pulled up a picture, she gasped. And so I just knew in the doctor's appointment, I'm like, oh, that's not good. So that's when the you know, radiologist came in and confirmed. But the reason I share that is it's so important to be persistent and be an advocate for yourself. If you think anything, don't worry about, you know, taking up a doctor's time, being an inconvenience. We are all worth the extra effort. And had they sent me home because my mammogram pictures, 25 films were clear, then I wouldn't be here today because there is, there are enough studies to show us that, you know, finding this sooner, um, it gives you a much better prognosis than later. So just definitely keep asking questions, definitely, you know, keep pushing for your, your doctors to find answers. And that's one reason why I, I so strongly, um, try to encourage people to know their body. It's not taboo. Know it and know it well so that if something changes, just go get it checked out. That's great advice. And I really like the advice to advocate for yourself. If you have a feeling about something, if you have reason to believe that there is a change, there's nobody more invested in our health or should be than ourselves. And so for you to not worry about putting the doctor off or second guessing them, bruising an ego here or there, or being annoyance. It's an important time to be an annoyance if you need to, when you know in your heart that something is not right. So fantastic that you did that. Absolutely. And I think, (laughs) go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think that women have a bad habit of not wanting to take up other people's time and not wanting you know, to be a burden. And so they're like, Oh, I'll be fine. And when it comes to, to something like this, no, just go check. It's worth it. Go check. Such good advice. Such good advice. When did you know that you would write about this? I knew before my second diagnosis that, that I wanted to write the, the, what, what uh, made me think about writing the book is there was an, one night where I was laying, laying in bed. When you, when you get a diagnosis like this, uh, there are books that are often free handed out to you by the hospital, you know, by your doctor. Yeah. So I had a couple of just these free books and I went home and I started reading them. They terrified me. So I have a section in my book called, I think it's like the cancer of or the cancer of breast cancer books or something like, I can't even remember right off, but it's, it's a whole section that I, I talked about it and the books terrified me because there were books about, a, you know, a woman who basically got 19 second opinions. And in there, it was like, if you're not doing this and you're not doing your due diligence with this many, you know, different opinions, then you're not doing it right. And it made me feel very pressured because I am somebody that likes to get the information, make my, my, make my informed decision and move forward. I can't 
I can't circle in a what if. Uh, it's really uncomfortable for me. And I know that that's not how it works for everybody. But for me, I needed to be able to step forward. <laughs> and sure. uh, so that book made me feel really judged and pressured. And, and I understand that that also might just be my perspective. Also, you know, the books where they're just throwing a ton of statistics at you. And I noticed that there's a lot of breast cancer books that seem to be written for the like ratings, so to speak, right? Where it's a lot of harsh, hard language about chopping and cutting. And it was terrifying. And then there was a whole section about how the divorce rate for breast cancer is really high. So my husband comes walking into the room and I'm crying and he's like, what's going on? Like, why are you crying? And I'm like, this book says you're going to leave me. And he was like, what are you reading? Um, And he said, uh, he said, why are you reading something that is make, that's not helping you? And he goes, that's it. And he started collecting these books and he's, I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, they're going in the trash. And I'm like, but we recycle. He goes, fine. They're going, (laughs) they're going and recycling because you know what (laughs) you need, if you need a book, you need to write one, write the book that you need right now. And that's what started putting that that thought in my head of, you wow. know what, I, I want to write something where, where breast cancer patient or anybody going through a difficult illness will feel like they're having a conversation with a friend. Uh, it's not about preaching at people. Um, not your usual boob is all about my kind of like wonky journey and what I learned in giving other people a heads up. And I'm very careful in the book to say, um, you know, that, that it won't work. Like, you know, my suggestions might not be right for everyone. And so it's not about me telling them what to do. It's about me letting people know, Hey, these are some of the things that might happen. Here are some suggestions on how you might be able to cope. You figure out what speaks to you and just be prepared that way, when when those things you know may or may not happen, you already know how you're going to handle it. You can move through it, you know, easier with a little less stress. So that I love that. That's how I. It got makes there. them feel less alone. You know, I mean, that sounds like a really terrifying, sometimes lonely process. And what you've done is create a book where you're kind of holding someone's hand through this process. And maybe you don't have all the answers for what will happen to them, but they can at least understand that they're not alone. And that there are benefits to being persistent, to being informed about your own body and informed about the interventions that are available to them. And I think that's just fantastic. And it's also, it's just fun to read. Like when I saw the cover, which again, uh, will be on show notes, but I had to giggle. It was just so (laughs) funny. (laughs) And at the end of every chapter, what is the phrase that you say? Uh, after the first couple chapters in, at the end of each chapter, I end with then step forward. And the message is, you know, get the information you need, understand the situation, and then step forward. There, nothing is going to come from, from not moving ahead. And so if you can find a way to figure out a few of the things you need to kind of unfreeze and unstick yourself, then go ahead and take a step forward and let's keep moving. And, um, you know, for the cover, I will tell you, I, that cover is 
And I completely understand, you know, when we're talking about body image and everything, there are so many shapes and sizes and it's all so beautiful. Um, For me, I had gained 30 pounds in less than two months because of the medication. So all of a sudden I wasn't recognizing myself. My clothes weren't fitting. I had had a mastectomy. And then with the second diagnosis, uh, radiation, which caused contracture. So one of my breasts was as hard as a rock and it was moving midline and up. And then the other one, because I had been really, really chesty before trying to take a very large circle down to a smaller circle, it's difficult. So uh, the reconstruction of that, of my right side, just at the time was still really kind of oddly shaped. And, and by the end of it, you know, one breast, I'm not holding my breast in the, in that picture at all. I'm just covering the, the nipple for mm-hmm. propriety of, of, you know, society being able to handle the cover being out on the bookshelves or, or on Amazon or wherever. But uh, uh, one of the breasts was inches above the other and it was moving midline. And so you know, and you've got scars and radiation burns and all these things, different places. And I felt like a patch quilt doll. And since in the book, I'm really talking about how, look, you're going through all of this, but you're still you, you still have just as much, if not more value, just because every day I, hopefully we're all learning, you know, and, and doing what we can to just be a little bit better than we were the day before. Um, and that's, that's what counts. You know, I, I was still me, but I really had to search for that and find it because I'm not going to lie. I went through as, as, as much of a independent, strong woman as I want to be and portray myself to be. I went through a lot of body image issues and self-worth issues as I was going through all of that. So for the cover, I had this idea of kind of putting myself all out there. And at the time, I remember somebody saying, we should Photoshop this in and just make you look as great as possible. And that Mm -hmm. was so against the whole point of the story that I was like, no, I, we're not going to do that. It's, it's just going to be me with the love handles. And there's no, I didn't Photoshop like wrinkles out or anything else. It's just, it's unfiltered. And I put that on the, 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 you know, the cover as well. Um, and it was just important enough. Somebody had asked me, what do you want your readers to get from it? Because when I was trying to figure out what I should do with that. And I said, I want them to feel like they're not alone and that they are still worthy in themselves, no matter what their body's going through. And they said, then you know what you need to do. And um, so, yeah, that's why I went forward with my cover. I love it. It was fun. And Yes. Sorry about that. It was fun and sassy, yet informative and very authentic. You know, it was all of those things captured in one image. So I think that, you know, you really do invite someone into your journey just by that wonderful cover. You know, there's nothing bad about it. It's just lovely. And uh, so I really congratulate you on that. And also for not going with what someone said was like, hey, let's make it look perfect. I don't know if that was supposed to be inspiring to people that you could get breast cancer and suddenly end up with the perfect body, but that would not have been the story you were telling. <laughs> not at all. And, and honestly, so, you know, even with what you're mentioning, one of the things that I think are damaging that we see a lot with breast cancer and the pink ribbon and everything is I personally um, am, am happy and fine with, with the pink ribbon and that awareness, because when people see it, they automatically 
do think breast cancer and, you know, the promotion of that awareness out there, there are some people who, who worry about that because they think that, you know, pink looks too gentle or, or that it's not scary enough. And there's plenty of women who are dying. So it's plenty scary. Um, but, um, the, in the community with breast cancer women, there is definitely a pressure to put yourself out there as everything's fine. That way you're a warrior and you are handling this beautifully. And we see that constantly. And so I think it's an unhealthy um, pressure to put yourself out there as everything is fine and you are completely strong. And if you can't put yourself out there as fine and strong, well, then you're not, you know, you're not the warrior. And I think that it sometimes makes anyone going through an illness kind of feel alone if the only time they can share things is when it's all going fine, if that makes sense. But that's a very good point. Yeah, there there definitely is a a very small window of tolerance when things are negative. People just don't want to hear it. But it does make it hard for someone going through something difficult because they feel the pressure to always show themselves as being strong. And that's if they're getting through it fine. What a good, I'd never thought about those things, but what a good point. I do love the term warrior because I feel like if every day you just get up breast cancer or no, that in itself is an act of courage every single day. Um, But I can understand that pressure to make, put a positive spin on it, make it look like wow, look at me powering through and don't worry about it. If you get it, it's all going to be okay. When actually that's not the feeling that everyone has. So I completely respect that. I also adored the part in your book where you talked about a person's community when they're going through, let's say an illness, or frankly, there are other crises as well, which aren't illness related, but in which we really need to rely on a support network or quickly build one. But- it can be easy to feel like, well, this is happening to me only, and you just don't understand it. And to, in a way, expect so much of people who've not been trained on how to support another person going through such an event. Can you share a little bit about that? Because you've talked about the fact that it's really happening to everyone in your community. If it happens to you, they do have skin in the game. They have skin in the game. So watch out for them. They do. They do. And, and I think way. part of part. Of, yeah. And, and, and I think part of that in my book was for a couple purposes, um, twofold wouldn't even be the right word. But within my family, I definitely had to understand that this wasn't just happening to me. And so I really wanted to encourage other people Um, to remember that, hey, this isn't just happening to you. You have to consider your children, your spouse and what they're going through as well. So I, because I think there's a danger of people coming across like, you know what, this is just happening to me. You don't understand. It's only what I need. And then, you know, there's these people where their life had been a certain way for so long. And now all of a sudden it's, it's, broken, you know, and it's, it's different. So they matter as well. And even though you're the one going through something that makes you not feel well, makes you feel tired, um, you have those fears. We still have to be sensitive to, to the fact that our families are going through it well as well in our community, the other people who care and love, love us. And I think that sometimes people want to reach out and help like you were talking about, but they don't know how, or they want to relate. And so they might say the wrong thing, 
Um, I, it's hard when you're going through something to have to put the brain power between figuring out what kind of help you need. But if we don't give those people who care about us a little bit of direction, then we often set them up to fail because if they've never had to go through this before, they don't always know what to do to help, how to be there for you, you know, what to say. So on both sides, just having that little bit of grace and patience especially with somebody who is being authentically, you know, genuine where they really want to help and they just don't know how. Um, So book, I try to talk about actually telling people what you do need, you know, like getting your kids to sports or people always, always reach out with food, which I really do think is an, is an amazing thing. Um, Sometimes it's asking the spouse, like, what can I do to help take a load off a little bit? And then the people in the situation going ahead and taking the help when it's offered. Because I do think that a lot of people also will say, I don't need anything. And when they do, but they're so conditioned to not accept help that they just suffer on their own. And, you know, I, I know we can't make people take the help when it's offered, but then we also can't say nobody was there for us. If it's right, if, if you're not because we weren't accepting it. So such a good point. I love that. And it, when you talked earlier about the books that talked about the divorce rate, you can see that it could put a lot of stress if a person isn't used to asking for help or accepting help, or if they f- give the message, this is only about me. You just don't understand that could be a barrier in a relationship. So it's wonderful that you were other minded. And I don't mean to a, a negative point, but that you really did remember that if people around us in our community are really working with us closely, living with this closely, loving us, then they're going through something too, just by the Absolutely. very fact that they're there, they're going through it too. So what a wonderful Absolutely. reminder. And, and I didn't, I wasn't doing it right the whole time, you know, either there were times when I did get stuck in my own bubble of feelings and everything that was going on to me, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. it was through conversations with my husband and just different things I was seeing and hearing where I was like, oh my gosh, there's, this is so much more than just me, you know? Right. Well, that's terrific. Now, how did your husband, who is a big character in the book, as far as I'm concerned, he sounds just wonderful. How did he like the book? Um, he was very, very proud of me. And, you know, I, I tell him that I encourage or that, you know, I'd let everybody know that he's the one who encouraged me with writing the book in the first place. And he's always been a big supporter of, you know, my writing in general. So, um, I think that he's really happy that I was able to put something out there that is helping other people through something that is just really scary, you know, and, and, you know, there are some times that people talk about breast cancer and they'll say it's the easy cancer or the lucky cancer. And I even had, so mine was the hormone positive, which compared to the triple negative is easier to treat as far as there's more options. And so that, that there is that, but I had someone at one point say, oh, you've got the easy cancer. Um, And they said it, not knowing that my mom died from the same cancer that I have. So I understand what they're saying, but sometimes we have to like kind of think about our words before we say them because I have unfortunately lost um, many, 
many friends who were diagnosed around when I was diagnosed with the same kind of cancer who are now no longer here. So clearly it was not the easy cancer for them. What is the best thing someone could say to a loved one, someone they care about when they find out that they're diagnosed with breast cancer in your mind? I think one of the best ways to respond is saying that absolutely sucks. And I hate that that is happening. I am here with you in any way I can be. Um, I find that when we say, you'll get through this, you're going to be fine. It's, it's a little dismissive when the thing is really scary, you know, because Mm -hmm. yes, we want to keep that survivor mindset. We want to be really positive. We want to keep that energy of, yes, we're going to get through it, but we also have to have the grace of acknowledging the fear and the uncertainty in the fact that treatments for a lot of these, you know, diseases, not just breast cancer are really rough and it's not going to be easy, you know? So just letting somebody know, oh my gosh, it really sucks. I have found, uh, I have a lot of breast cancer patients or or women reach out to me via Facebook uh, because they've read the book. And so then they find me on Facebook and through messaging. And when they have questions, you know, they're going in for a biopsy, they they found this out and, and they just need to talk through it. And when I tell them, oh my gosh, this really sucks. They're like, thank you. It does. And I don't feel like I can say that. It just does. And so I think acknowledging that and then letting the person know I'm here. I love that. Thank you. That's so informative because we just don't get trained on the right things to say. And there are like a whole bunch of cringeworthy things that I can look back in my history when someone's gone through a crisis that have come falling out of my mouth that I think, why did I just say that? Why did I just say that? That is exact. Oh, but it's wonderful to have, you know, that you're giving some guidance so that people will have it the ready. It's okay to validate the uncertainty, the pain, and the fact that frankly, it just stinks. Yes, I agree. I I saw that you're doing some book. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that um, people's intention is really good and they're just trying to relate They just don't understand that some of those automatic things that come out um, tend to be scary or dismissive. And so it just takes a second to think about it. Right. I like that. Taking a deep breath before maybe we respond is a good thing uh, sometimes too. But just hearing the news and being able to stay with it is important. I've, I've read that you've done some neat civic groups and some talks. So it sounds like you're getting the word out, you know, in addition to your romance uh, books that you're able to really connect with some great folks, some great people and get the word out. And I just love that. Where can people find more about you and your many books and especially this one? I I appreciate that so much. I am trying. I am on Facebook uh, as MK Meredith and I have a website, mkmeredith.com. So any of my books and and information are on my website, but then also all my books are, you know, through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, Kobo, Apple, Uh, people can search me up and find me just about everywhere. So just if you look up MK Meredith or mkmeredith.com, you'll find me. I love it. I have really enjoyed having you today. It means the world that you took time out of your schedule to do it. And thank you so much for all that you're doing. Love your book. 
and I accidentally lied. It was June when we recorded together, MK Meredith and I. Darn it. What do I know? At any rate, hit me up at lameredith.com, hop on my email list, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, tell a friend and go ahead and give us a review. I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.